Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53, Jesus is appearing to the disciples or instilling the word. Luke 24, 36 to 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So remember where we are, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, they have recognized Jesus, they come running back all the way to Jerusalem, and they are telling the disciples that are gathered there that they have seen Jesus. And the disciples that are there are telling them, we are, you know, we, we, you know, the women have seen him. Simon has seen him. You know, we are, we are, we are all sort of aware of this. Now, while they were still talking about this, Jesus appears and says, "Peace be with you." Verse thirty-seven. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, "Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands." and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate it in their presence. Revelatory word, revelatory action, right? He's revealing himself to them. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, meaning the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, between verse 49... And verse 50, there's actually 40 days. Because we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, which is on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Two weeks ago, we considered how the fulfillment of God's word enables us to trust God that he is faithful to keep his word. He has fulfilled his word, so we can trust him. Last week, we considered how the revealing of God's word opens our eyes and transforms our hearts. Right? It reveals, light comes. Today, we're considering how the word of God is instilled in us. That is, how it is put into us. And Jesus himself fills us with his word 
and the Holy Spirit, with the very presence and the power of God. The instilling of God's word into us, into our minds, transforms our lives. But before we can get to the transformation, the first point I want to make is this. The instilling of God's word is the Lord's doing. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they did not recognize Jesus because of missed expectations. They were expecting something. You know, Jesus was not what they thought. They didn't even recognize him until he reveals. The disciples, and here now it's about, it's the ten disciples and the others, and the reason we know that is because John's gospel tells us that Thomas was not with them when Jesus appears, and then when they told him about it, he said, oh, unless I put my hands in his hands and his side, I can't believe it. And, the, and in John, it says that a week later, Jesus appeared again, and Thomas is there with them, and Jesus said, put your hands in my hands, see, it's me, right? And, G and Thomas calls out, my Lord and my God, and then he went to India. You know, so praise God that that happened, right? But the, the, the fact is that these disciples are gathered here in Jerusalem. They are afraid. And they have come into this place not sure of what's happening. Jesus appears. They don't recognize him. But they don't recognize him because of their guilt. They had just betrayed and abandoned Jesus because of their unbelief, because of their fear, and most importantly, for the same reason that the other two on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus, they did not understand the word of God. They, Jesus is telling them all this for years, but they just didn't get it. Right? So in the midst of all of this that they're going through, when they don't know what they should do, when Jesus appears to them, their first reaction is one of fear. It is a ghost. I don't know, you know, I mean, we have ideas today of what ghosts are supposed to be. They had an idea of what a ghost was supposed to be. And it's not the first time. It's not the first time that they, that they react like this, right? In Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, it talks about the fact that when the disciples were on the water, you know, and there's this storm, and then Jesus comes walking to them on the water. What do they cry out? It is a ghost. And then Jesus says, no, 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 it's me. It's me, see? Like right, like right here, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, let me come out to you. And Jesus says, sure, come. Right? And so we read about all of this. They, they react these ways. They, they, they don't recognize because their fear, their amazement, their unbelief, their guilt, all of that is clouding their mind that they can't even recognize Jesus. Missed expectations, guilt due to sin, unbelief, ignorance, and fear keep us also from recognizing Jesus and his work in our lives. Jesus comes and does something. Jesus comes and says something. Jesus comes and is active. We don't see it. We are affected in our minds by all these other things. And those things overwhelm us. But Jesus' is timely, compassionate, understanding, loving response to us is the same as it was to the disciples. Peace be with you. Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Don't be afraid. Look at my hands and feet. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones. It's me. I'm here with you. 
Jesus is reaching out to us. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn. He doesn't uh, uh, you know, sort of get angry with us. He says, no, it's me, it's me. Don't, don't be upset. Don't be afraid. It's me. When we are overwhelmed, when we are afraid, Jesus appears. He knows the condition of our hearts. He speaks comforting and reassuring words. He reveals himself through his word. He reveals himself by his actions. He didn't have to eat a piece of fish, you know, but he does it for our sake. He says, you have some food? Give it to me. I'll show you. Here, see? And he, I mean, he's doing it for us. He reveals. He's compassionate. He explains. He initiates the process of our transformation. Because if Jesus doesn't do this, we would be left to ourselves. So Jesus does this because he does not want us to remain in our disappointment, in our sin-ridden guilt, in our unbelieving, in our ignorance, and in our fear, in that frame of mind. He doesn't want us to stay that way. So he comes, he appears, and he speaks. Because you see, the instilling of God's word opens our minds. He said to them, verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds. This picture that, you know, just unscrew that top there. Opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. He fills, he instills, he gives us his word. He gives us himself. When the Bible says, I am the word that was made flesh, right? Jesus, that's, his, that's who he is. He opens it up and gives us his word. Fills us. You've got to picture that, see that. Last week, as I mentioned before, we saw how Jesus opened eyes and transformed hearts by revealing the word of God. The heart represents the center of our spiritual lives. Right? It represents our decisions and destiny and all this kind of thing. It represents our passions, our desires, our appetites, our affections, our purpose. The issues of life flow from the heart, the wellspring of life. The mind comprises the faculties of perceiving, of intellect, of intelligence as such, or understanding, of feeling, of emotion, of, of judging, of discerning, of determining, of will, of imagination, of memory. All these things we think of and associate with the mind. And these are not like clear-cut lines. Right? You can't say, this exactly is of the heart, this exactly is of the mind, this exactly is of the flesh. We are very integrated beings. You can't just put your hand into somebody and take out their mind. right? You can't put your hand into somebody and take out their spirit. You can only say, here, there's a wholeness of this life that God has meant for us. However, we understand that there are these impacts and these different aspects, different ways in which we live out these lives. So the spirit, the soul, the body, the heart, the mind, when we speak about it, these are the broad sort of distinctions we're making, right? 
the French philosopher Descartes, he wrote in 1637, I think, therefore I am. And he was referring to the fact that our thought process, the thought process of the mind, is proof of the existence of being. How do I know that I exist? Well, I think, oh, therefore I am. But about 2,400 years before that, in 700 BC, Solomon stated the truth about the mind a little differently in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. And he said, inspired by the Lord, as a man thinks, so is he. It's not just that we exist or we can prove our existence because we think, but how you think, what you think, when you think about it, that's determining how you live. As a man thinks, so is he. What you think shapes and directs your life. So the world, your own flesh, and the devil are actively engaged to affect your thinking. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil knows that if he can get us to think something, to believe something that is contrary to the word of God, then he can get us to sin. It starts there with that thought. Did the Lord really tell you this? A little doubt, a little unbelief, a little fear, a little anxiety, some thought that is just to be planted into the, into the mind. And off it goes, racing ahead. Right? And so the devil knows that if he can affect our minds, our thinking, he can get us to sin. So that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and verses 3 to 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, mindsets, thoughts, worldviews that are raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So how do you take every thought captive? How do you manage your mind? The world says that to keep your mind healthy is to clear it, to empty it. Listen to soothing music, breathe deeply, meditate on anything but God, right? Meditate, meditate. Um, don't think about anything and empty your mind. But as you know from your own experience and the idiom that is attributed to Aristotle, Nature abhors a vacuum. What is empty always gets filled up. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through and place arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in 
and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Thousands of years ago, Jesus knew all about what would happen in our time. But you know, look, I'm not saying don't, don't listen to soothing music and you know, don't sit still and you know, deep, deep, breathe deeply and meditate on the word of God. Don't, that's fine. But you see, the Bible doesn't tell us to empty our mind. The Bible tells us that we have to fill our minds. And we have to fill our minds with what is true. We are prone to believe the lies of the enemy. We are prone to believe our fears. We are prone to believe rumors. The Bible says, fill your mind with what is true. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 is familiar. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers. So you've done this. You've made your request known to God. You're trusting in the Lord. You're letting his peace guard your heart and your mind. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Don't empty your mind. Think about these things that are true, that are good, that are noble, that are right, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. Oh, fill your mind with the things of God and the truth of God. Thinking about the right things is to deliberately set our mind on things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. That's Colossians 3.2. We think about things of God because the word tells us that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law and cannot submit to God's law. That's Romans 8, chapter, seven, uh, chapter 8, verse 7. Setting our minds on the flesh is death, but setting our minds on the Holy Spirit is life and peace. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 6. We set our mind on God because the word tells us that when our minds are stayed on God, when we trust in God, then God keeps us in perfect peace. That's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. As we were reminded last week, we understand that when our thinking is devoid of God, we're being foolish, Psalm 14, 1. But the word also tells us that when we don't see it fit to acknowledge God, then God gives us over to ourselves, to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Multiple reminders on the importance of right thinking, of allowing the Lord to take charge of our minds, of our thinking. But knowing the word and doing the word is not that easy. We are entirely dependent on God's initiating work, his living and active word getting into us and working in us, and the power of his Holy Spirit to apply that word and his love to preserve us in the word. Right? This past Wednesday night in our weekly prayer meeting, we prayed through James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So in anticipation of this morning's message, my emphasis during the prayer meeting was on verse 21, on the implanted word of God. But of course, that is preceded by all of those statements about anger. Soon after the prayer meeting, I did the exact opposite of what we had prayed. Forgot what I looked like, did not think of what was right and true, and instead got very angry about something that I should not have reacted to. The next morning, I got up, checked my email, and in just a clear show of the mercy and grace of God, there was a message with a link to an interview with Joel Malm. He's an author of a book called Love Slows Down, How to Keep Anger and Anxiety from Ruining Life's Relationships. So in describing the book and the content of the book, Malm, the author, he says, anger reveals the areas in your life where you've been looking for connection, security, or control apart from God's love. As soon as you start feeling angry, it's because you're feeling a threat to your sense of security, connection, or control. Only God's love can give you the fulfillment of that. So when you're angry, ask, what is this anger telling me about what I haven't surrendered to God? Then take a step back further and say, what is my anxiety showing about what I haven't surrendered to God? A lot of times, anxiety and anger come from the same source. As you work through it, you'll start to notice the areas where you tend to lean on your own understanding your own thinking, and that you need to surrender to God. So if you go back to James chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 there, when human anger does not produce the righteousness of God, when we get angry about what has happened in the past and anxious about what may happen in the future, when we don't, res don't, we don't respond with love in the present, when we react to threats to our identity and our security, when our relationships are not going the way we want, when we feel like we are losing control, the only remedy is to not lean on our own understanding, on our own thinking, but to humbly receive the implanted, the instilled word of God that is able to save us. Meditate on the word of God. Read it, memorize it, listen to it, sing it. Think about what is true. Fill your mind with the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus' mind was full of the word of God.
Even on the cross, he's speaking the word of God. The Bible says that what is in you comes out, right? When, and, and both in the natural and in the spiritual, if you're shook up, what is inside you will come out, right? Um, so if the word is in you, something happens, that's what will come out. When he opened the mind of the disciples, he filled it with the word of God. Jesus gave the disciples insight and illumination to understand the scriptures. And when their minds were opened to begin to understand the scriptures, then their lives were transformed. You see, the instilling of God's word transforms our lives. He told them, this is, what it is, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, as he's standing there and telling them that. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed into what? Into the image of God. Be transformed to do His will. Be transformed to fulfill His commands. Be transformed to worship and glorify Him. How? By the renewal of your mind. What thoughts are in your mind that need to be renewed? Old thoughts removed, new thoughts put in. What's the source for that renewing? The word of God has to be the source. But when that happens, that we are transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Isn't that what we want? Lord, we want to know what we should do. Where should we go? What should we do? How should we buy this? Where should we, where should we you know, have a house? What should my children do? For every single thing we want to know, what is the way to know? Let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When our minds are opened, when they are renewed from old ways of thinking, when we receive power from on high to not just be hearers, but to be doers of the word, then our lives are transformed. You see, the disciples, they went from not understanding the scripture to preaching his name to all nations based on the evidence of the scripture. They went from hiding in fear to boldly and publicly declaring what they had witnessed. They went from abandoning Jesus when he was crucified to being willing to die for him. They went from being ashamed of their sin to proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins so that the whole world would believe and be saved. What changed? The word of God was instilled in them. This morning, our response to this word is simple. That we would say, Lord, I need your word to be instilled in me. Open me up. Open me up, Lord. Take me apart. I'm not holding on. No walls, no barriers, 
No, nothing that sort of keeps you from having your way in me. Open it up and instill, instill your word into me. The word that is so complete, the word that is appropriate, the word that brings life, the word that gives peace, the word that allows me to know your will, give me that word. So we respond to the word of God. We respond to this message. We respond to what Jesus did by saying, Oh Lord, instill your word in us. And then we apply by saying, Oh Lord God, open our minds, transform our lives. Open our minds and transform our lives. We may have thought that we know the things of God. We may have lived in some measure according to the word of God. But to truly be transformed, to truly live out all that the Lord has purposed for you, to be witnessing and testifying of the purpose of God and the will of God and the word of God, we have to be changed. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit coming into us. We have to have this, this word just bubbling out of us, overflowing from us, stream of living water coming up from us as the Holy Spirit would lead us. And so that's the change and the transformation we want to pray for. We want to ask the Lord to have his way in our lives. So let's just pray. Let's just close this morning by saying, Lord God, don't let me leave from here. Don't let me leave from this book of Luke. Don't let me know all about your word and be a hearer of it, but not a doer of it. Come, Lord, come and have your way. Transform me. Come and have your way. Change me. Change my life. Change my life. For those of you who are here in the sanctuary and those of you who are listening online, if you've never gone to the Lord Jesus to say, Lord, change my heart, change my life, let today be the day that you would say, Lord, I believe. I believe what you have done. I believe what you have said. I believe that you gave your life for me. When Jesus says all these things were to be fulfilled, the word had declared it that he should die for our sins. And the word had declared that when we receive that sacrifice, when we say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sake and my sin, and I can receive the forgiveness of my sin as I come to you in repentance of my sin, we can be saved. We can be saved. We can be rescued from the death, the path that we were on. And our lives can be transformed. This morning, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you that you would turn to the Lord and you would say, Lord God, transform my life. Transform my life. Let me know, Lord, know you. Hallelujah. Jesus, hallelujah. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that your word is so wonderful to us. Thank you, Lord, for the record that we have here in this Gospel of Luke that we've been going through all these weeks. To understand, Father, that you are eager to come to us, to appear to us, to speak to us, to love us, to prove to us that you are who you say you are. Oh, Lord God, thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, that you seek to put your word in us, to open our minds so that we may receive your word, so that we may receive your power, so that we may receive your promises, so that we may receive your presence. Oh, Lord God, come and do your work. 
We yield to you. We submit to you. Father, what a wonderful way to conclude this ministry of yours in the earth by saying, by reminding ourselves, Lord, that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have made it possible for us to live a victorious life. Father, in our unbelief, in our fear, in our guilt, in our shame, in all of us, ourselves, in the fact that we give way to anger and anxiety, in the fact, Lord, that we are threatened about our identity and our security and, Lord, about um, all these things that we want to hold on to or we want to try to establish. Father, in the midst of all of that, I thank you, Jesus, that you give us life. Thank you, Father. Father, come now and have your way in us. We yield to you. We surrender to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Every Sunday morning, we also want to remember that we are to die to self and to be raised up in new life in Christ Jesus. That we would live according to this word that he has given us. And every Sunday morning, we want to receive a word of blessing from the Lord, to receive his promises, his power, his presence, the word of God that comes into us. So let's stand together. I want to speak this word of blessing over you. And for all those of you who are watching, who are online there, and this word comes to us from, this blessing comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and then chapter 4, verse 7. May you have every encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion, that your joy may be complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. May you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, may you value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, may you have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus. God bless. Go in peace.